Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Jesus, we honor you, Lord Jesus. Your name is high and lifted up. Your name is above every name, and we honor you and glorify you. You are our Lord and our Savior, our Redeemer. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to sing praise to your name, enter into praise. As heaven praises you, we praise you here on the earth in this place. We thank you for the opportunity to be together tonight. We thank you for the many people who are here tonight at the church house. We pray for Bible studies going on all around and our choir and all the other ministries, the youth and the children. And thank you for the blessing of, of us being able to serve together and to uh, do the things that you've led us to do here. May you be pleased with what we do. May we know your will. That's what we're praying these days, Lord, that we would be as a church filled with your will, the knowledge of your will as a church. We pray for our friends in Southeast Asia that we do mission work with. We pray for uh, their son, one of their children, having these struggles uh, that we were notified of tonight, Lord, on Watchman Prayer. We pray for him. We pray for his healing. is a long way from the United States, may, the, may they have the understanding of what to do and will you heal his body. We pray for the legislature now to carry out what the governor has put in place for foster children, the many resources and the financial resources to do the work that needs to be done in our state to help with this great need. <clears throat> we thank you for the response of the government as we have prayed. And now we pray that they would do their job and find the way that these resources financially would get to the children. We pray for them tonight in their conditions, wherever they are. Some being transferred out of one foster home to another, others with nowhere to go. Living in all kinds of circumstances and health needs and all the rest. So we pray and we plead the cause of the helpless and uh, the orphan tonight. You are the father of the fatherless, and we know you will provide. We ask that you'd give us, a, as a church, the wisdom to know in the days ahead what we should do to do our part. Now, Lord, we come to Jeremiah's lamentation. We come to know tonight about how to pray when we're suffering. Help us to really understand this as we live our life and go through the seasons of life and those some extreme times of suffering, just like Jeremiah is expressing here, we don't understand what's happening, we're shocked by it, we're numb by it, but we seek to live as your people in our suffering. May we learn tonight what it is to pray in our suffering. May we learn from this holy man who, who expressed these words and we have the chance to read them and the Holy Spirit can apply them to our lives. I pray for the people who are here and those who are listening online, <clears throat> whatever conditions they may find themselves in, <clears throat> you, are, <clears throat> you are the one who brings good out of bad. You are the one who has redeemed us. And all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his will. That's us tonight who are here. And we thank you now for this time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Lamentations chapter 3. Good to see all of you. If you don't have a copy of the outline, there are uh, several places and it would be good for you to have it uh, so that you can follow along with us. Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in chapter 3 verse 41. 
and we'll read through uh, verse number 57. What I'll probably do, in fact, I want to go back just so we tie it together. I want us to go back to the questions we saw last week. I said to you that <clears throat> as Jeremiah is working his way through his own suffering and uh, processing it, he's facing it, he's dealing with it, all of these things we've seen in this wonderful chapter. We saw last week these questions that he asked himself and I mentioned to you that the, the answer's in the question. The answer's in the question. He asked the question, but there's the answer. So we read, picking up in verse 37, Who is there who speaks? And it comes to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Why should any living mortal... Or any man offer complaint in view of his sins. Then we came to this last verse from last week. Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. Now we begin with this new section. We lift up our hearts and hands toward God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and have not spared. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us mere offscouring and refuse in the midst of the peoples. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have befallen us. Devastation and destruction my eyes run down with streams of water because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes pour down unceasingly without stopping until the Lord looks down and sees from heaven. My eyes bring pain to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. They have silenced me in the pit. And have placed a stone on me. Waters flowed over my head. I said, I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief. From my cry for help. You drew near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word, and may the Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We find now this holy man, he has worked through his struggles. I've mentioned to you, and again, I'm only repeating to say, remember the difference in holy lament versus uh, unholy lament. And so the world says, well, you just need to get over your problems. You need to get over your suffering. You don't need to have all these issues. Just move on. But this holy man says, no, I'm going to remember my affliction. I'm back in now chapter 319. I'm going to remember my affliction, my wondering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers. I'm going to take it to heart. I'm going to, I'm going to take in these seasons of suffering in my life. That's what we must do. So I asked two questions here at the beginning. 
First of all, the focus is this, that holy lament leads the sufferer to God in prayer. What finally happens after this process of talking to himself and reflecting and thinking about the uh, glorious attributes of God and perfections of God and recognizing what God is doing and, and shaping him and disciplining him and asking these questions about uh, what God does and what he, why he works the way he does in suffering, uh, even toward the, the believer, he now comes to pray. He evaluates and says to himself in verse, uh, in verse 40, now he calls it to everyone, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. So the, so the questions are these, how should you pray when you're suffering? It really is an important question. It's something that all of us should consider. We're talking about praying in the morning. We're talking about on Sunday mornings, the disciples prayer, as I prefer to call it, uh, that the Lord taught his disciples to pray. It's the Lord's prayer that he taught his disciples to pray, however you want to get to it. And so we're learning phrase by phrase, some of those most important, significant things, not only saying those words, but what's behind them and how we're to pray. But now I'm talking about the Lord gives us those, uh, those directions on prayer, which are general and important for all of our circumstances. But I'm asking you tonight, how should you pray when you're suffering? And most of us in this room, knowing you the way I know you, you've, some of you are in the sea, you're in a season of suffering that you have, uh, you are seeking to endure. You're seeking to walk with God. But how do you pray when you're in those kinds of extreme times of suffering? That's where Jeremiah is. And then what are the characteristics of suffering prayer? Well, that's what I want to focus on because it's very descriptive here. So I'm going to give you these um, elements or these characteristics of suffering prayer. And there are, uh, there are uh, four of them that we'll look at tonight as we look at these things together. My, my intention, my goal is that we might be as people equipped to read our Bibles and to pray. Now, how's that? That's the objective. Pastor Mike, what are you here trying to do? Well, number one, I want to know how to study the Word of God, hear the Word of God, read the Word of God, memorize it, meditate on it myself, and I want to learn how to pray. And I want to meet God in prayer. If I do those two things, then things in my life will Will, will be handled in the right way. What do I wish for this church? What do I wish for each of you? In whatever season of time we all are together, you know, whenever the Lord calls us home, whenever people move away, what, you know, all of the ins and outs of life, that you will be influenced by the fact that praying and re the Word of God and prayer are those things which stabilize and help us in all of life's circumstances. We must know it and we must teach our children and we must teach our children's children uh, how to do these things. Do our children and our grandchildren know that we pray? Do they know how we pray? Do they know how we go to God's word? Do they know what we do? This is what's important. So maybe the suffering you're suffering is for on behalf of someone you love and they're suffering. So you're suffering with them. Maybe the suffering is coming on you because you're in this world like we all are, and we suffer because we are followers of Christ in this world. However you find yourself in suffering. Some are suffering tonight because we're in sin and we've walked away from God. 
and he's disciplining us as children of God. But we also then see, as we've talked about repeatedly, the world and its terrible concern, concerns, difficulties and adversities, and how does that affect our heart? All right, with all of that said, number one, returning to God in suffering leads us to pray. 40, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. You must, you must evaluate, my dear friends, your condition and your suffering. I believe <clears throat> that one of the most important things that's not done, you know, when someone's sick, let's just use uh, health issues. You go to the doctor, they do the evaluations, they do the examinations, they do all of the tests and all the rest. And then seasons of suffering come from physical uh, ailments and illnesses. But what is the condition of your soul when you're sick physically? How are you? This is what I'm saying. This is what, this is what Jeremiah is saying. There was a lot of physical suffering going on in Israel at this time. But now let us, let us examine and probe our ways. How am I, what am I, how am I living? How am I thinking what is the condition of my life in my suffering? Well, sometimes we're mad at God. Sometimes we're, we're cynical. Sometimes we're frustrated. Sometimes we're bitter. So we must examine and probe our ways. And then, notice, return to the Lord. You know, we spend our life repenting. You know that, don't you? There is this false idea that the only time you repent is when you get saved. What, what a ridiculous what a ridiculously wrong concept. You know, um, repentance is the way, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you for all unrighteousness. That is repentance. It's what we do as believers. We repent, we live, we practice repentance. So holy suffering returns to God by personal repentance. Self-examination and suffering includes searching my emotions, my will and my desires. You must ask yourself, why am I feeling like I'm feeling when you're in your suffering and troubles? So lamenting prayer seeks mercy and help from God, from a faithful, loving, compassionate God. Now he comes to this wonderful phrase. Look at this. Look at the linkage of 40 and 41. Because I am examining and probing my ways and I'm returning to the Lord. Oh, here it is. We Lift up our heart and hands toward God in heaven. We lift our hearts and hands toward God in heaven. Jeremiah 14, 21. Do not despise us for your own namesake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember and do not annul your covenant with us. Do not despise us. All right, I'm raising my hands now in front of you, but you can't see my heart. People go and they say, well, we're going to praise God. Raise your hands, but their heart's far. This people honors me with their lips, Isaiah. And then the Lord Jesus says, but their heart is far from me. I praise you, I praise you, but all inside of me, I've got covetousness and wickedness and godless thoughts and wrong motives and hatefulness and mistreatment of others. I praise you, I praise you, but I, inside my heart is not lifted to you. I'm asking you tonight, do you have a lift? You see, lifting the heart and lifting the hands is the way we pray. Lifting the heart and lifting the hands. So we come to God as the Lord Jesus taught us and we say, 
Our Father who is in what? Heaven. We lift up, up. His glory is in the highest. He is the, as we learn this wonderful uh, description of the Lord in these words, He's the most high, the most high. So as we pray, I'm asking you tonight, as you, as you come now to pray, we lift up our heart and hands toward God in heaven. A lot of people are, are, are concerned to talk about the posture of raising your hands, but they don't think about what the point of it is. What the point of it is. What is the point of it? The point of the outward expression of raising your hands is that your heart is also lifted up to God. So I've put here for you, what is the lifting of the heart to God in prayer? Let's pause for a moment and think about this. Because this becomes very important. <clears throat> we must keep our heart with all diligence. That's what we learn in the book of Proverbs. We must pay attention to our heart. Here's the old preacher saying, heart work is hard work. That's a good, that's a good saying. It's hard to keep my heart because it's so deceitful. Your heart will fool you. Your heart will fool you. That's why we must use the Word of God to show. Oh, here's what I do. I read the Word of God and I'm in the Word of God. And guess what's happening? The mirror of the Word of God is showing me what's really inside of me. Hebrews, the Word of God pierces to the separation of the soul and the spirit. That's why the Word of God is essential in your life to read it, to meditate and think about it. This is not about collecting information, my dear friends. Yes, as you read your Bible, you will gain Bible knowledge. This, this, is, this is for your soul. This is for your heart. This is the medicine for heart, spiritual heart problems. Right here. This is how they're exposed. This is how they're known. So that I might then come in prayer as I probe my ways, I do it with the Word of God, and then I return. And what do I do? <clears throat> we lift our, our heart and hands toward God in heaven. It is expressing, what is it to lift your heart? Well, it is expressing genuine feelings to God about suffering. What do your little children do? They raise their hands because they want you to pick them up. They want you to hold them. They want, this is the expression of genuine feelings to God. It is our expression on earth of raising our hands and lifting our heart before God. I always think of it as this. When you, one of the old preachers described it as when you stand to pray, you put your hands out and you put your heart in your hands and you give it to God. You put your heart in your hands and you give it to God. Not somebody else, not something else, your heart. We lift up, it doesn't say we lift up our circumstances to God. It says we lift up our hearts and our, and our hands. You see, this helps me when I know how to, this is helping me to pray in my suffering. So it is an offering. It is an expression of an offering. It is not only hearts and hands lifted is an expression of genuine feelings to God, but it's also offering the, it's an offering 
of my suffering condition back to God. Here's my, here's my, here's my suffering. It's not only putting my hands out before God and offering it, it's offering my suffering back. Here it is. I offer it back to you. If you want this to be me, if you want this to be what I go through, if this is what is your will for my life, here it is. I offer it. So one of the, one of the offerings was the wave offering, the heave offering. It was the taking of heaving, raising it to the Lord. It is raising, heaving, putting your heart up, putting your sickness up, putting your suffering before God. It is a sacrifice. This is an expression of sacrifice. I am, here I am in prayer and I'm raising, I'm lifting my heart in my hands. It is a focus on God as the giver of mercy. Where, where am I raising? I'm raising them up. I'm not raising them towards someone else. I'm raising them up. We lift our heart in our hands and it is an appeal to God for, it is an, it, 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 it is a, an admission of helplessness. You know why we pray, my friends? Because we're helpless without God. We are those people in America who are with our ingenuity, we have tricked ourselves. We think we don't need God. But when we, live, when we examine our ways and probe our ways and return to God, what do we naturally first of all do? It's as I've been saying to you in the mornings, the first thing that a born-again believer says is, Abba, Father. Nobody has to teach a child to love their father and mother. It's natural. And when I pray, I am saying, I am utterly helpless without you, God. Hebrews 4.16, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? To receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, there's much there. I only ask you this. When you lift your hands, are you lifting your heart when you pray? Lamenting prayer is confession of God's Discipline in our suffering. Now, I'm going to just look at this string of words here in 42 to 47. Let's read them again to collectively. We have transgressed and rebelled. So here's confession. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and have not spared. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us mere off-scouring and refuge in the midst of the peoples. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have befallen us. Devastation and destruction. Here we have confession and also intercession. Jeremiah is not a, one of those who has sinned against God, though he confesses sin. Perhaps he had sinned. We don't read all about it, but he, he witnesses the great sin of the nation of Israel and uh, Judah, all of God's people. What Israel did, Judah followed. We see it all through the book of Jeremiah. And we're, some of the women are studying the book of Jeremiah. And, and that'll be what you'll see. But this is it. there's intercession here. There's confession on behalf of the sinfulness of God's people. 
And there is confession in God's discipline in the suffering and the judgment that's come. So confession of God's discipline reveals acceptance of suffering. Here's what I'm saying. That's the principle here. This confession of God's discipline reveals acceptance of suffering. You see, this is the battle for people in their suffering. They don't want to accept their suffering. I don't deserve it. I didn't, I didn't earn it. I shouldn't have to go through this. This is unfair. These are the things that constantly are said. Tonight in the hospitals around this area, there are people saying, I don't deserve this. And there they are. Tonight there's someone whose marriage has fallen apart. I don't deserve this. Their children have gone wayward. There's trouble in their job. There's, I mean, pick whatever you want. I don't deserve this. But you see, when we find ourselves in the hands of the loving kindness and compassion of God, as we've already seen, this is why these questions are important. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord's commanded it? Is not, is not from the mouth of the Most High that, but is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill come forth? That includes me. Why did Job, what did Job do? Job understood it, but his friends did not. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. We know that principle. So I want you to see this because acceptance of suffering by the discipline of God. God is disciplining me through the sufferings in my life. This is the essential principle, my friends. Whatever your suffering is tonight, this is God's discipline because He loves you as a child of God. This is what the holy person the believer understands. So Jeremiah confesses, confesses God's displeasure. Notice the, the, the displeasure here as it's described to us. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us and you have slain and not spared us. And you have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. God's displeasure for the sinfulness of Israel. I, I quote from Jeremiah 5, 7. Why? Here's the Lord. Early on as Jeremiah is preaching and God is responding to Israel and their hard-heartedness, why should I pardon you, God says to Israel. Your sons have forsaken me and sworn by those who are not gods. When I had fed them to the full, they committed adultery and trooped to the harlot's house. So Jeremiah confesses God's displeasure over the sinfulness of Israel. And this is what dis, the displeasure of God gets you. Sometimes people say, Pastor Mike, God seems so far away from me. And the question is, so why, is God, why does God seem to be so far away? What, have you, what is the condition of your life? What, what are you, how are you living? What are your circumstances? Jeremiah confesses God's resistance because of their sinfulness. Again, you see this resistance. He's not, he's not responding to them. He, he describes God's departure from them, His separation from them. So what is it that happens, dear friends, to us when we sin against God as believers? We grieve the Holy Spirit and you, you, you sense a distance between yourself and God. There's not this connection that you've had before. Why is that? Because we grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit when we sin. 
We haven't lost our relationship. He hasn't thrown us out. He hasn't rejected us. We don't lose our salvation. We lose the intimacy of our relationship. This is what's so important. Why would I want to do anything as a follower of Jesus Christ that would break my intimate relationship with Him? My relationship with Him is more important than anything else in my life. So it's God's displeasure, God's resistance, God's departure. And then look at the result of God's discipline on Israel. Unrepentant. See, they did not repent as Israel when God was disciplining them. So how do they end up? Look at these four words. Look at these four words. Take them in tonight. All, my en- all our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have befallen us. Devastation and destruction. Panic, pitfalls, devastation, and destruction. This is the condition of those who are in unrepentance. This is the condition... <clears throat> When you are panicking, you must pause and ask yourself, why am I panicking? Why am I panicking? When you find yourself in pitfalls, well, I went this way and I fell out. Look what happened. Look what was in the road. Look look where I came to. I've, I've had pitfalls in my life. I was going this way, and it seems like the more I go, the more trouble I have. Pitfalls. Devastation. I've lost everything. Destruction. In another place, in another preaching, Isaiah says, uh, terror and pit and snare confront you, O inhabitants of the earth. He's describing the unrepentant. You want to go the way of unrepentance? Everything seems good when you look at those who are without Christ and life seems to be moving along well. Terror and pit and snare confront you, O inhabitant of the earth. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. That's the condition of every lost sinner in the world today. Somewhere between terror, the pit, and the snare. You know when someone's ensnared, you know our way of saying it? They're in bondage. They're in bondage. Terror, the pit, and the snare. And then lamenting prayer, cries in brokenness over suffering. So notice the progression, confession, intercession, and now brokenness. There is emotion here. Emotion. Why is Jeremiah called the weeping prophet? Because he cried. I've asked you this before. The Lord Jesus cried. Paul cried. They wept. They wept. Do you weep? Do you weep about a sad movie 
and you have no weeping for the wickedness and godlessness of the world? What makes you cry? Some silly emotional Hallmark movie? What in the world? Crying because some dog died? I'm just saying. This is an important question. What makes you cry? What causes you to weep? What tenderizes your heart? My eyes run down. We've, we've looked at this before, but we come back to it. Now he's praying it. Now he's saying it in prayer. He's weeping while he's praying. Do you ever cry when you pray? My eyes run down with streams of water because of the destruction. Notice why. Because of the destruction of the daughters of my people. My eyes pour down unceasingly without stopping. Because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. It's not, uh, I stand here justified. And all of these people of Israel and Judah deserve what they get. They deserve it. They made their bed, they can lie in it. Wow, boy, what a statement. Jeremiah 8, 20 and 21, the harvest is past. This is the cry, this is the cry of the judgment that has come now on Israel. The harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken, I mourn, dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there any medicine in Gilead to help this sickened disease of sin? Is there any bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I'm asking you tonight about, you know, the world hardens you, hardens your heart. Suffering hardens us unless we practice this very pattern of lamenting and facing and living and dealing deeply with our pain. The last thing we should desire is a hard heart. And it's easy for your heart to be hardened. You know what suffering do, does? It plows up a hard heart. It breaks the ground. Let God do what He will do in your suffering. Permit it to happen in your life even if the condition is yours for the rest of your life on this earth. So lamenting prayer, this whole matter of praying in our suffering, number one is confession of acceptance of God's discipline in our suffering, whatever it is. Lamenting prayer to God cries in brokenness over the suffering of sinfulness. And then lamenting prayer to God waits and cries for God's help while in the pit of suffering. Now we come to verse 50. 
until, notice my eyes pour down unceasingly without stopping, comma, until the Lord looks down and sees from heaven. I'm going to cry until God sees it, sees this condition of mine. Until the Lord looks down and sees from heaven, my eyes bring pain to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. Now he's describing himself as the holy man. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. Notice he's the preacher. They have silenced me in the pit and have placed a stone on me. No more preaching. No more preaching from you, Jeremiah. Waters flowed over my head. I said, I am cut off. I am cut off. Notice it's in quotes in your Bible. I am cut off. You have two sets of quotes here. You have first his condition. Here's what he's praying. He's praying this in the pit. He's praying this in the pit. I am cut off. I have called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. See, holy suffering waits and prays to God from the pit of suffering. It's a pit. Have you ever fallen in a pit? You can't get out without someone to rescue you. you if you fall in a pit, you are, there's no way out. You can't take care of it. You can't climb out. You, you lose your energy. You're in a pit. You're in a pit. Jeremiah was placed in the pit. He was the holy man who should be speaking and preaching, and he's in the pit. The enemies took him. God permitted the preacher to be put in the pit. Why would God put me in the pit? What have I done to deserve it? Well, you're a child of God. This is a part of your formation. This is a part of what God does in our lives. How many times, I, I've said this to this church repeatedly, I remind you all tonight that had Paul, I believe this, had, had the Lord not put Paul in jail as much as he had, we wouldn't have all of those wonderful letters he wrote. Do you think he would have had time to write one? He's planting churches. But the Lord said, well... Chain him to a Roman soldier. Now, how about, would you like to have been a Roman soldier chained to Paul? Can you imagine? Okay, it's your turn with the Jew. Do I have to go in there? Yep, you have to go in there. How many of those men were one to Christ, chained to Paul? He's in jail. He's in the pit. He has no control. He's under someone else's control. Somebody else's schedule. He's in the pit. And he gave to us the prison epistles, all of these glorious things that we have that have helped us understand so much about the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul had to be in the pit to give us the word of God. You have to be in the pit. You see, there is the pit caused from suffering, but there is the pit caused from righteous suffering. What is the condition of the pit of suffering? It's a place of silence. 
I am cut off. Nobody can hear you in the pit. You're all, it's, it's, a place of, it's a place of loneliness. You're all in there by yourself. Nobody's in the pit with you in your suffering. You see, your suffering is personal. Your suffering is personal. It's given to you because this is a part of what God is doing in your life. A place of silence. It's a place of loneliness. It's a place of separation. You're in the pit. You're, you can't, you're, you're, you're separated from everyone else. I am cut off and I have, the waters are flowing over my head. I could have said it's a place of helplessness. The water's flowing over my head. I can't stop it. And it's a place of lowliness. I have called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. Do you pray when you're in the pit of suffering? Do you pray when you're in the pit of suffering? I have called on your name, O Yahweh, out of the lowest pit. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I have cried to you. The depths will come in your life. The depths come. And guess what? God meets us in the pit. God meets us in the pit. And that leads us to this last thing, lamentation, a lamenting prayer to God. Trust God that He'll hear our suffering cry, and I meant to write, in the pit. Notice, I'm cut off, I've called, 44, 54, I called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. I'm praying in the pit. Oh, I'm going to pray in if I can just, if everything will get good, I'll go back and pray. I'll pray when things are good. I'll get my prayer life right when I don't have all this chaos in my life. No, you won't. Praying in the pit. Our Father who is in heaven, you pray in the pit. Hallowed be your name. Notice you're in the pit and what are you saying? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. You're not praying for yourself in the pit. Now you get there, you begin to ask. But this is the way it begins, my dear friends. Notice now, I am cut off, and I have called on your name, O Lord, out of the lowest pit. Notice you have look at this, look at this faith and hope coming through now. When you pray to God in the pit by faith, look what happens. You have heard my voice. How did the psalmist say it? I love the Lord because he hears me. If you're in a pit and you're out in the middle, you know, uh, a friend of mine was hunting and, you know, he was way out. This is back where I was from, back in, you know, out. He was way out in the panhandle of Oklahoma. He was out. There's nothing out there. That's why nobody lives in Oklahoma anymore. They've all moved. There's nothing there. He's out there hunting. He went off and he and this other friend of mine divided up. He fell in a pit. He could not get out. There was nobody there. It doesn't matter how much you yell. And oh, by the way, his phone fell out on the top. Ran out of battery. He was in a bad condition. 
Thankfully, the friend came back around and found him. My point is this. You cry to God in the pit. You have heard my voice. God hears your voice in the pit when nobody else does. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief for my cry for help. Did you notice this in quotations? Here's what he's praying. First he says, here's my condition. I'm cut off. Verse 54. Here's how you pray in your suffering. I'm cut off. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief. From my cry for help. That's a quote. Please hear me. Hear me, Lord. I'm coming to the throne of grace. I'm coming. And then he says these wonderful things. You drew near when I called on you. You see, the prayer of faith believes that God hears the prayer for mercy in the pit. The prayer of faith believes that God will bring relief and help from the pit. The prayer of faith believes that God is near when you pray in the pit. I've said this to you before. When you say, our Father who is in heaven, He is there meeting you and you are meeting Him. There's no delay. Instantly. We're always in the presence of God, but oh, when you go to that secret place, our Father who is in heaven, He's there. He's there ready to meet you. And the prayer of faith hears God say, here it is. We're finishing now. What does God say to you in your suffering? Do not fear. Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Did you see it? Surely, surely, surely. Surely, in other words, certainly, for certain, I guarantee that I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And what did our Lord say to us? He said it to His first disciples and He says it to fearful Christians today who are in the pit of suffering. What am I going to do? Where will I turn? How's this going to get done? Where will the resources come from? How will I ever get my health back? What will ever happen to my child? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So tonight... Jeremiah says, I am cut off. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, from my cry for help. You drew near when I called on you and you said, now God speaks, do not fear. That's all God says. That's all God says. Not a long drawn out, go do this, go do that. Here's the word. Here's the word to the holy prayer of suffering from the pit. Do not fear. Some of you need to hear this tonight. Do not fear. 
Do not fear. The Lord is with you. To the praise of the glory of His grace, the Lord is near to the door. Your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for my dear brothers and sisters. How Jeremiah teaches us. My, what he went through in order to give us these wonderful, wonderful truths about how to walk through our suffering and maintain our holiness and grow in godliness. For the Lord Jesus, help us remember the Lord Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. We are no better than our Lord. So we learn obedience from what we suffer. And we thank you, Lord, for your wonderful, glorious word. Lamp to our feet, light to our path. It is the balm of Gilead. It is what divides our soul and our spirit so that we might see what's in us and apply by the Holy Spirit your comforting grace and loving kindness and compassion. And that's why we hear you say, do not fear. May some of my brothers and sisters tonight, as they go to bed tonight, may you say to them, do not fear. Do not fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good to see all of you. And Lord willing, see you Sunday. Say hello to somebody on your way out. So glad you were here tonight. God bless you.